0: Good morning, how's everyone doing? All right, awesome. Well, it blesses my heart that you're here, that you braved the cold, so thank you for being here. Our Lord is worthy of our praise, our worship. It's such a a beautiful thing to sing to Him this morning. We, uh, a few months ago, introduced our vision statement here at Rimrock to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. In this vision we have set in front of us the person of Jesus and uh, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount over the next months we're going to be hearing the vision of Jesus of transformation. What what is it that Jesus wants to do in my heart? What does he want to do in your heart? What is he wanting to do in this world? Jesus lays out this vision for us in Matthew 5 through 7, and so we're going to be spending a long time this uh, next few months, and, and uh, I, I'm thankful for Tom's song, that songs do help us memorize, but I hope some of you won't just stop at the Beatitudes. I'd, I'd like to invite you to try to uh, join me in memorizing the entire Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's, it's possible. I think God is going to help us, and uh, maybe a little accountability together will help as well. I know it will help me. So uh, I would like to invite you to do that. As, uh, and I think, you know, Sundays are so important. We hear the Word of God. We, we share communi- community together. But throughout your week you know you spend a lot of time in the car maybe at your workplace you spend time in your home and as you're thinking about these words and how these apply to your life I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do powerful things in your life so every person and this is true of me and I think it's probably true of you and it's probably true of others that you know desires happiness You desire to be satisfied, you desire to be fulfilled. Is that not true? I see it in myself. And because of that human desire for happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction um, there's a lot of messages and a lot of scripts out there about how you can experience that. And you turn on the radio, turn on the TV, drive down the road and there's billboards, there's all kinds of things inviting you to different kinds of scripts in school, in workplace, everywhere we go there's messages and we don't even think about it a lot of times because it's just always coming, right? It's always coming towards us, these different messages about how to experience happiness, how to have a satisfied life, how to be fulfilled and so we get these every day. This morning I want to talk about one of those scripts that is out there. Um, I was reading some statistics and this one person said this. I don't know if, how accurate this is, but it, it seems accurate because uh, you go to any bookstore or library or go on Amazon and they said there's about four books published a day that contain the word leadership in it. And we are bombarded with messages about leadership, right? It's, a, it's an ideal and I would even argue it's a script. Now, don't hear me say this morning that there isn't a place for good leadership. We, we all know that that's a, a blessing, that uh, when people are responsible and they take responsibility and they do the role that God has called them to, that, that, that brings blessing. And when people want to serve and help others, that's a, that's a blessing. But this morning I also want to talk about the dark side of leadership. And we know this as well. And we see this, not just out there, but we see this right here, if we're honest. The dark side of leadership has infected every single one of our hearts. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceptive above all else. And this is how I would define the, the dark side of leadership. It's a, it's a striving to, to be on top, to be better than others, to achieve something. There's this desire for recognition. And this dark side of leadership results in what? In power and control and dominance over others. And we see this. And we've been hurt by this. I've been hurt by this. And I think every one of us could think back to a situation where someone ran over you, used you, abused you in some way, whether in the home or in the workplace or somewhere else, and a lot of times at the core of that was this desire in that person's life for control and power. And so this dark side of leadership can creep into every aspect of life, even in the church. We've, some of us have experienced that in the church, in business, in our families, husbands, wives, fighting, parents with kids, wrestling for control, for power. Even in government we see that this desire to have dominion over others. And so when the culture, and we get this script with this preoccupation, this fascination with leadership, there's a good side, but there's also a deep, dark side to that. Here's the good news this morning. Jesus flips the script on leadership. He invites us to a new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of behaving. Jesus emphasized servanthood. There's this situation in the Gospel of Matthew and some of the Gospels where the disciples start arguing. And uh, every parent in here has kind of put, been in this situation. And, and they're, they're realizing, you know, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's establishing his government, his kingdom here on earth. And they're saying, man, we've gone all in with Jesus. We've become disciples of his. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to sit on his right or his left to have that position of authority, that position of power in his kingdom. We want that. Hey, I think if we're honest, we're like the disciples. We want, we want to position ourselves in a good way to have good leadership, right? And so here they are arguing of that. I, every day when I get in the car with my kids, we have an argument. I want to sit in this seat. <laughs> and, and my brother needs to move because I want to sit there. I want to be first. And so they're... Arguing, and what does Jesus say to them? He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Wow. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we hear those words of Jesus, and he flips the message completely around. Uh, The the cultural script of, I want to be on top, I want to be first, I want to be the best. And Jesus flips that around. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Would you open your Bibles, or you can look on the screen of chapter 5 of in verse 5 of Matthew, as we have gone through the Beatitudes, we began in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And now, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. As Bill and Nick have over the past few weeks talked about the importance as we go through the, 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 the blessings, the declarations of blessings that we have to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about blessed. There's a lot of confusion with this because culturally, naturally, personally, we tend to think of blessing as something that happens to us. But Jesus is being very specific here in this word that it's an invitation not to circumstances but an invitation to being. Being. He's inviting us into a new kind of life. Not based on what happens but on who we are. And not just who we are in of ourselves but very specifically in who Jesus is. (laughs) So... I was thinking about this. We are called human beings. And one way, Jesus is inviting us here to be Jesus beings. He's inviting us to his kind of life that changes the way that we are and who we are. And Jesus is declaring that he is the source of blessing. Let's not miss that. If we miss that, we miss everything else because if we look for blessing on any other source, we are missing what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a, a Jesus kind of life. He becomes the ultimate goal and the ultimate treasure for blessing. I like what Janet Stewart said as, as she said, Joy is not the absence of suffering but the presence of God. Do you see what she is saying? She's saying even if suffering, if hard things happen, it cannot take our joy away because joy is found in the very presence of God Himself. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's declaring, I am blessing. Come to me, be with me, be in me, and you will be blessed. And so because of this, even in poverty, even in mourning, and even in meekness, we can be satisfied. We can be fulfilled. We can be joyful because of Jesus. What a message. There's another part of this word, blessed. Not only are we invited into a new state of, new kind of being, we're invited into a new way of thinking and behaving, a new value for life. I love what the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth nothing, nothing that I desire besides you. My, my heart and my flesh, they may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. Can you pray that this morning that, that God is enough that he can be your portion, my portion forever? And that's what I think Jesus is also inviting us to, not only a state of being, but a new way of thinking and behaving. Because Jesus has brought the kingdom of God near, his government, his rule, his reign, his will, his action, we now have a new way of living with a new value system. We understand now because of Jesus and who he is and what he has done that we can recognize our true poverty and our true source of wealth. And we can understand that even in mourning that we can receive comfort and we can realize the presence and the power of God in our lives. And this isn't just for sometime in the future. This isn't for after we die. If you read the words of Jesus, he doesn't talk about sometime in the future in heaven. He's talking about right now. In this life, this becomes a reality for us. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, that's for you, that's for me, that's for us now. So let's talk a little bit about this word meek. What is it? It's not a word I use every day, and you probably don't use it every day either. Um, We uh, just sang Uh, Some translations translate that as gentle, or mild, or humble. And all of those words, I think, help describe it, but it's, it's a unique word, and it has a sense to it of even lowliness. Now, a lot of times our minds go to weakness, and you must understand that this word has nothing to do with weakness. In fact, it has just the opposite meaning of weakness but it is an invitation to a different kind of value for our lives. I'm gonna read out of a commentary um, something that was helpful for me. Meekness, according to the Bible, is being humble and gentle towards others. And it's willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. It is not being selfish, arrogant, loud, or obnoxious. Rather, it's having a quiet but confident trust in the Lord. And being willing and able to do whatever he commands. That's key. So there's a there's a a part of this that has to do with God and part of this that has to do with others. In regards to how a meek person would treat others they would definitely be humble and gentle both in their words and their actions. So how many of you when you uh, look at your job description it says meek on it? Anyone? I'm a pastor and my job description doesn't say meek. <laughs> so culturally, this is just something we don't even think about. This isn't something that we talk about. This isn't something that we, we value. Our culture tells us be a leader, be in charge, be over others. Jesus is inviting us to a different way of thinking a different way of behaving. So what is it? I believe there's three aspects to meekness, and and let me just say this, the person who most embodies meekness is Jesus himself. He was, he was the, the personification of what meek means and what it looks like in a person's life. So we have to look at the life of Jesus. And so these three things uh, are taken from the life of Jesus, but I think they're, they're seen throughout scripture. And so I think there's three words that I want to talk about with you this morning as we describe meekness. One is trusting. Two, filling. And three, relating. Let's talk about those. Trusting. And this has to do with our trust in God. You see, meekness is not something we (laughs) self-produce this is not normal or natural this is something that comes from God and if we're going to live in this we must trust we must trust we must trust absolutely in the goodness and the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God we have to we are called to that we're called to trust I love what Brendan Manning says in his uh, book called Ruthless Trust He calls it ruthless trust. It's that tenacity, that holding on to who God is and what He has said, what He has promised, and we're not going to let that go. We must trust in God. I remember as a college student, we uh, had a week in Chicago where uh, different speakers would come, and someone asked me a few years ago what was some of the most impactful sermons in my life, and immediately I thought to this one week, In Chicago where a woman named Elizabeth Elliott came and shared. And some of you know that name, some of you don't, but she was probably in her upper 70s, a very plain, simple woman, but in that room filled with college students, it was absolutely silent. We were riveted to every word that she said. There was, I think, the evidence of meekness in her life. And what I want to share about Elizabeth is she revealed in her life a ruthless trust in God. Some of you know the story but some of you don't. When she was young, um, wife and mom, not married very long, she and her husband went to Ecuador and uh, to work among some Native American tribal people in the Amazon and uh, while they were there, they realized that there was another tribe that no one had ever made contact with in a, in a good way. Uh, this tribe had a reputation for violence, for rejecting outsiders. But Jim Elliott, Elizabeth's w- husband, and four other men decided that God had called them to bring the message and the hope of Jesus to this tribe. And so they began to make contact with this tribe and they began to uh, drop gifts and they went in and they sought to share the love and the message of Jesus with these people, the Waldani people. But what happened was it went wrong because there was a conflict in the tribe and what ended up happening is all five of these men were speared to death. And so here's Elizabeth Elliot, now a widow and has a young daughter, and she talks about that. She says, And I learned in that experience who God is in a way I could never have known otherwise. And so I can say to you that suffering is an irreplaceable medium through which I learned an indispensable truth. God is God. And he's told us enough so that we can know that suffering is not for nothing. God is God. That's trust. But the trust of her life and another woman, uh, Rachel Saint who was a a sister of one of the men killed was that they were willing to go back to the very people that had speared their husbands and and, and Rachel Saint's brother and they went to live among these people and they carried out and finished the work that their husbands and brother had started to bring the message of Jesus to these people. I had the opportunity to go and, and spend time with this tribe and, and meet every, the men who had actually speared the missionaries. And everyone stood up and gave testimony of how Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, had changed their hearts from violence and anger and fear and had brought peace and love and joy into their hearts and their lives were forever changed. And so trust, a ruthless trust, Elizabeth Elliot, Rachel's saints, believing that God is God, that they could trust Him, even in the agony of loss and mourning, that they could see that God was working and they could trust in His goodness. It's an absolute confidence in the goodness of God, an absolute confidence in the glory of God, that He's gonna redeem and restore and make good on His promise. And so trust, The second part to meekness is a filling, a filling. You see, the invitation to the blessed life that Jesus is giving us is not (laughs) self-produced. This isn't an invitation to try harder to be better. This is an invitation to a new kind of life. And it's only found in God himself. And Jesus models this for us. Jesus was fully human and he lived uh, a life with all the temptations and struggles that we face as well. But if you read the gospels, you find over and over what is Jesus doing. He's talking to his father and he's being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a dependence on the Holy Spirit that we see in the life of Jesus. We see a leading, a filling, a directing of the Holy Spirit in his life. And we know throughout the New Testament that the Christian life is really a spirit-filled life. It's a life where we receive the very presence and power of God dwelling in us so that we can live out this new kind of life because we can't do it on our own. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. But with God's filling, this becomes possible. Meekness becomes possible. It's not impossible, but possible with the Holy Spirit. And so as we choose to trust God and we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, the third part of meekness becomes possible. Relating. How do we relate to others? How do we relate to others? And the invitation of Jesus is to relate to them in meekness. Now, my first illustration of Elizabeth Elliot, all of us can say, yeah, she's a hero of the faith. She she models something that's incredible that I want to aspire to, but I'm not like her. And you know what? God's not going to call us all to go to the jungles to do those kind of things, but God has called each of you into relationships. Maybe you have a mom or dad, I hope. You all have a mom or dad, don't you? (laughs) Each of you has, some of you have spouses, a husband or wife, some of you have kids, some of you have co-workers, some of you have bosses, some of you have neighbors. These are the people that God has called you to relate with. It might not be across the world, but it's right here, right now, that Jesus wants to produce in you meekness. And so how do we view those people? How do you view your husband? How do you view your wife? How do you view your kids and your coworker? And I think the way Jesus flips the script, it's no longer viewing them as objects or people to use or to navigate or control. Rather, the invitation is to meekly, humbly, gently, patiently see them as people to love and to serve, people to love and to serve. My grandparents um, uh, were amazing people, but what impacted me most about their lives was watching them get older together. And my grandfather got Parkinson's disease and he began to um, deteriorate physically. And I watched my grandmother faithfully lovingly serve and care for him behind the scenes where no one could see but the family could see and a few other people could see and it forever it changed us because we saw the power of the gospel the power of Jesus to produce something beautiful where there was love and care and service even though the other person couldn't meet each other's needs. They were there for each other. They walked with each other through very difficult days, but they never lost the happiness and the joy and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of Jesus. We saw that. We witnessed that. And here's the key. There are no super Christians. This is possible for every single one of us. There's only Christians. (laughs) There's only people who know Jesus. There are no higher levels of of being. There's only what Jesus invites us to. And so this is possible. It's possible not to be in your home with your husband, your wife, and your kids in conflict and control and domineering and, and fighting. It's possible to experience the meekness of Jesus in these relationships. Let's look briefly before we celebrate communion, the promise, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. I love that Jesus was not a Gnostic. Now you may say, what, what are you talking about, Ben? What's a Gnostic? Gnostic? Gnosticism is a heresy that very early began to attack the faith of God's people. And it's still attacking. Every day it's attacking you and I. And basically Gnosticism says Spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. Jesus speaks against that. Every New Testament writer speaks against that. The reality of what God is wanting to do in our lives and our world is not just spiritual, it's physical, it's physical. The very beginning verses of the Bible say, God created this, the heavens, the earth, and he said, they are good. Physical things are good, made by God with a purpose by God. And I love that because everything that we experience in life, much of it that is good is physical, is it not? But the trap is with the physicality and the temptation of sin is a lot of times we end up worshiping the wrong thing. We worship the physical things as it says in Romans 1 and we we forget that it's created by a good God, a great God. A God who has a purpose for those things. And so we must reverse the order. We have to understand the place for those things. And Jesus says this, we must lose our lives in order to gain it. And he says the last will become first. And so what does this have to do with meekness? So the world says, be a leader, be strong, be in control, use your power, dominate others so that you can have good things, so that you you can be satisfied so you can be fulfilled and so the world chases after those things in the wrong way and God invites us what to meekness and what's the promise we will inherit the earth (laughs) the good things that God has made that have been made for us to enjoy in this life are for us to enjoy but we have to put the order right we must trust God and if we trust him completely ruthlessly We will experience the things of this earth without guilt, shame, or fear. We won't see those things as ultimate things, but we will be able to enjoy and delight in them because of who God is. And second, that the Holy Spirit, we we experience life with this Holy Spirit presence in a different way. And so we experience the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and self-control in this life. And so we experience our relationships and the physical things that God has given us in this life in a good way. And thirdly, our relationships became a source of joy and richness in this life on this earth. People are no longer objects or obstacles or projects. Rather, we see them as children of God that, are, that we're called to treat as mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and friends because we see the value and worth of every person. And because of this, we can live to serve them and to make their lives better. We live out what God has called us to, to be blessed and to be meek and to inherit what God has made as good. We're gonna celebrate communion. I'm gonna invite the servers to come up. And something that's so important as we get ready to celebrate communion this morning is to remember how this new life in Jesus is possible. Because Jesus died on a cross and he was resurrected physically. And so, as we take this bread and this cup, I want you to hold on to it and we're going to take it all together.